Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Powerful video, hey. Um, imagine that were you. Imagine the worst happened, you were forced to flee from your home. Uh, what would you take with you? What would your most precious thing be? I'd like to start today by maybe just us chatting amongst ourselves. Speak to the person sitting next to you and ask them, if you were to leave, if you had to flee, what would you take with you? What would your most precious possession be? If you're with us online as well, then get involved and write down yours in the comments panel too. We're going to spend 30 seconds talking before we start. Okay, we don't need to tell the whole story. Just a couple of ideas. Sorry if you didn't get a chance to share anything. Could be a good conversation starter for the coffee time. Um, for me, it was really quick, really easy. I don't need to think about it. As long as I had my family, I could leave anything else behind. That, that would be my thing. Like, as long as I had Emma and the boys, I think I'd be okay. Um, we're starting a series today, as Daniel said earlier, called Insecurity. And this is all about confidence, how we live a life full of confidence. And I think that there's two types of confidence in the world. There's Secure confidence and insecure confidence. And when we watch videos like that, it, it always feels so far away. It feels so removed. It feels like we, we, that would never happen to us. And we have this confidence in our life. And I think a lot of the time we think we have one type of confidence, but we actually realize at different points that we have the other type. Let me give you a story to explain exactly what I'm trying to say. Uh, a little while ago, we were driving up for my mum and dad's uh, down in Surrey, and we're heading up that evil piece of road called the M6. And it had been hours and hours, and the kids were in the back, and they were cranky and frustrated. So we did what so many parents would do. We threw food at them. And we thought, if we can stick something else in your mouth, maybe that noise won't come out. And it just so happened that what we had at the time in the car was a bunch of grapes. So we threw them in the back and we were like, Cole, have some grapes. And uh, it seemed to work because after a minute or so, he suddenly went completely quiet. And Emma turned around to look at him to realize why he was so quiet. And she saw this expression on his face, like of fear, of confusion, of that there was something wrong. And we realized straight away he was choking. Uh, and I'm in the fast lane on the M6 doing no more than 70. <laughs> It doesn't matter who else is on that road. I, I swerved across and got into the hard shoulder as quick as I could. I slammed on the brakes and we stopped. And Emma ran out of the car, pulls out Cole and starts hitting him on the back. And in that moment, it was like my heart was just, you know, it was in my mouth. And it didn't matter how much money I was making. It didn't matter uh, how good my car was. It, it didn't matter how great my education was or wasn't. It was like everything was shaken. And what felt like forever was probably about three seconds uh, before Cole coughs up this grape. 
I think we build our lives on lots of different things. And in moments like that, we realize how fragile life is. We realize that you don't have to be in a war zone like Syria for suddenly your world to fall apart. And it was interesting because we drove back and I, I turned to Emma and I remember saying to her like, praise God, God is good. Like God is good, he saved my boy. God is good, God is good. You know, I just wanted to say God is good because I was like, yes, it was okay. And we do this all the time. Like I passed my exam, God is good. I paid my mortgage this month, God is good. The scan came back and the results were great, God is good. But the question is, like, what if, what if the worst had happened? What if Cole hadn't coughed out that grape? Is God still good in the cemetery? Is God still good when you fail? Is God still good when your life falls apart? Or is even your security in God an insecurity? You know, I think so much of the time, so many of us, we have this kind of contractual understanding of our relationship with God. You know, we're like, I'm going to do good. I'm going to try my best. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to get up early and I'm going to do what you tell me to do. And in return, you're going to look after me. You're going to keep my life good. You're going to keep us relatively comfortable. And then when something goes wrong, when something happens and God doesn't meet those bottom line expectations, it, it rocks us. It's like our world suddenly goes into this spin, this tornado of doubt, like, where is God? Like, did, is, is he distant? Has he gone away on holiday? Did I catch him on his day off? Like, what's happened here? Has, has, has he not got enough power? Is he not good? Does he not care about me? These kind of questions, they rock us and they hit us hard. You know, like people come to church and they're like, on Sunday, God, use me. And a week later, they're like, I'm leaving. I feel used. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder what Bible we've been reading because Jesus seems to make this really, really clear. He doesn't say become a Christian. It's going to be unicorns and fairy dust because let's be honest, I would never put my hand up for that. He says, expect it to be hard. Expect there to be times when you've got a battle and overcome some stuff. He doesn't want us to be insecure. He wants us to have the kind of security that it doesn't matter what hits us, we'll get through. I think for some of us, like our security is like a castle we just build around ourselves. And we end up becoming like clams in our shell. And we just hide ourselves away. And that's not what the Bible talks about either. He talks about outliving your life. About living life to the full. And I want to look at this today. I want to ask us, how do we have that kind of confidence, that kind of security that will get through everything? And we're going to look at a story uh, in Exodus. And it's in Exodus 2. If you've got your Bibles, please have a look for it now. If you're here, you're visiting, you don't have a Bible, that's absolutely fine. I'll put it on the screen behind me and you can read along. This is a story about a woman, and in the Bible, she's described as one of the heroes of the faith. In fact, she's the first woman in the entire Bible to be named after God. Her name is Jochebed, and you probably have never heard of her, but she is awesome. And she lived in this time. She lived in this time where her entire nation had just been made slaves. You know, you were born, you were raised into slavery. And not only that, her nation had prospered. 
They'd done well. They, they'd grown strong. Despite all of these problems, they'd grown strong. And so the Egyptians who, who owned them, they were getting scared. And so Pharaoh turns around and he makes this decree. He says, we're going to kill every single boy that's born so that they're not more powerful than us. Like even in slavery, they're flourishing. And so this is the context that she comes into. So we're going to go Exodus chapter 2, and I'm going to start from the beginning, verse 1. A man from the family of Levi married a Levite woman. The woman became pregnant and had a son. She saw that there was something special about him and hid him. She hid him for three months. When she couldn't hide him any longer, she got a little basket boat made of papyrus, if that's how you say that, waterproofed it with tar and pitch, and placed the child in it. Then she set it afloat in the reeds at the edge of the Nile. The baby's older sister found herself a vantage point a little way off and watched to see what would happen to him. Pharaoh's daughter came down to the Nile to bathe. Her maiden strolled on the bank. She saw the basket boat floating in the reeds and sent her maid to get it. She opened it and saw the child, a baby, crying. Her heart went out to him. She said, this must be one of the Hebrew babies. Then his sister was before her. Hey, do you want me to go and get a nursing mother from the Hebrews so that she can nurse your baby for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said, yes, go. The girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter told her, take this baby and nurse him for me. I'll pay you. The woman took the child and nursed him. After the child was weaned, she presented him to Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him as her son. She named him Moses, means pulled out, saying, I pulled him out of the water. An incredible woman. So imagine, imagine you found out that you were pregnant and you had this mixture of emotions. On the one hand, you're excited, like you're pregnant. On the other hand, you know that you live in a nation where if your child is born and it's a boy, they're going to drown him. And this woman is, she's waiting and she's excited. And then the day comes and she has a baby and it is a boy. So she does what I think every parent here would do. She tells no one. She hides him. Maybe she dresses him in pink, gives him a little dress. She, she makes sure that nobody knows that she's had a baby boy. And so she's protecting this child and she's looking after him. And it gets to the day when she realizes that she can't hide him anymore. If you've had a baby around three months, I don't know what it is, but all of a sudden those lungs kick in. You're like, every neighbor in a 10-mile radius is going to be up all night with me. I can imagine her. Every scream was like fear in her heart that somebody would hear, that somebody would come and check it out. And so all of a sudden, she has this idea. She would make this basket boat out of reeds and tar. Like, where did that come from? Who, who would think that up? It's, it's, it's crazy. It's mad. I believe that as the world was shaking around her, she stood firm because she could hear the voice of God. I don't believe that was her idea. I believe that was God's idea. I think that as we go in our lives and, and the world is hard and difficult at different times, that we need to learn to be prepared. We need to learn to be ready for what's coming. I know loads of us here have recently started our faith journey. 
And if you haven't started doing this already, I'd love to encourage you to make this a practice. But every single day, I start with Bible and prayer. I start with Bible and prayer. I don't do it because God tells me I have to do it. I don't do it so that God will love me or think that I'm brilliant or clever or something like that. I do it because he loves me. But I also do it because I've found time and time again that that thing that I've read in the morning has stayed with me throughout the day. You know, when you're out and something happens and it catches you off surprise, you don't want to be trying to find a fire extinguisher in the middle of the fire. You don't want to be trying to go into emergency mode when everything is falling apart. You want to be prepared. So often you'll find you'll read something in the morning and all of a sudden it's like, now I know why I read this verse. Now I know why God was saying this. You'll find, oh, that's why God gave me peace this morning, because I was going to speak to you. Don't tell them that, but you can know it. Start the day right. The way you start the day is going to affect everything that happens afterwards. So if you don't know even what I mean about this, I would keep it really simple. Maybe start five minutes just thanking God, looking at everything he's done, and then read the Bible. It almost doesn't matter where you start but keep reading. You don't need to read loads and loads, but read to understand it. Read to immerse yourself in it. And then pray. And if you're not used to praying, you can just speak to God like you speak to anyone. Just say, God, I've got a big day. I think I'm going to need some help here today. Could you help me? It it can be that simple. You don't need to learn new language or be profound. Just speak to God. Spend the beginning of the day right. Jochebed was prepared. And then what she does is she gets this baby and she places her most precious possession, her child who she loves, into a basket. I can imagine what she was thinking as she put this basket into the water and pushes him out into into the river. She had done everything that she could do. She had done everything that you could expect her to do. She had watched him. She protected him. She'd hidden him for three months. And then she hands him over to God. And this is the best definition of faith I think you're going to find. Faith is giving your most precious thing to God. It's not, I'm going to give you this and I'm not going to do anything. It's you do everything you can do and you give it to God. When she pushed that baby into the water, it wasn't an act of desperation. It was an act of dedication. She dedicated her child to God. She said, take him, use him, protect him, because she believed that confidence in God was going to be so much more important than anything else. Do you know, I get stressed about all sorts of things for my kid. What school are they in? Are they going to get the right education? Are they going to have the right friends? Are they going to be good at sports? Are they going to be great at drama? What are they going to be like? And and I worry about all these things and where their future's going. And I forget that the most important thing in their lives is going to be that they're dedicated to God. That God is their foundation. This is what Jochebed knew. This is what we've been doing this morning, right? We've been saying, Lord, these are our children. We give them to you because we know you can see more. We know you have a bigger perspective. 
So she passes her children over to God. She was prepared. She then gave it over to God. And then she watched and she waited. And she saw it through. She saw it all the way to the end. Can you imagine waiting and waiting? I think so many times we pray and ask God to stop something difficult really early, but we don't understand what his bigger plan is from it. Like if Jochebed had, had, had been saved right at the beginning, so many good things wouldn't have happened. If, if when she had that child in her house, the child had maybe never cried or, or, or never been discovered or something had happened then and God had answered her prayers, she would have missed out on so many blessings. You see, what happens at the end of the story when she gets there is that Pharaoh's daughter picks up the child and gives her back to her mother and says, I'm going to pay you to raise your own child. How awesome is that? And not only then did God save her child, but her child got educated and prepared in how to lead a nation. All of a sudden, God didn't just save Jochebed's child from its pain and suffering. God managed to save an entire nation through her faith. You see, when you give that little thing that's struggling over to God and you're willing to see it through, God can use it for so much more than you can imagine. There's this verse in Romans 8.28, and I think it's one of the most misunderstood verses in the entire Bible. It says, I will make all things good for those who love me. I will make all things good. And then we go into this, this problem and we're like, Lord, I thought you would make all things good. I just had a car crash. It didn't feel good. Lord, I thought you would make all things good, but I didn't get that promotion I wanted. How is that making all things good? And we misunderstand what God is saying through this verse. He doesn't say, I will make everything good. He doesn't say, I will make each thing good. He says, I will make all things good. It's only when you step back and you look at all of these nasty little things that happen and you've given them to God that he takes them all and he turns it into something beautiful. I think it's like coffee. Have you ever eaten a coffee bean? Don't, it's rank. What are you thinking about? Why would you eat a coffee bean? It's a dumb idea. Great coffee doesn't come because a coffee bean is good. It doesn't come because the water is good. It doesn't come because the milk is good. But there's something about bringing all of the elements together, about allowing them to brew and giving them the right amount of time that somehow brings out this beautiful taste in the coffee. When we talk about having confidence in God, it's not that he will make each thing good. It's that he will make all things good. Imagine this. Imagine I said to you that I was going to pay for you to have 24 hours away anywhere you wanted in the world. Anywhere you wanted. Could be, I don't know where you'd want to go. Could be Mexico. Could be a beach. It could be, um, could be Africa. It could be top of a mountain, anywhere. Imagine the best place you could go in the world. Picture it right now. And then I said to you, I'll send your friends. The people who you want to be around you, they can go there too. Drinks are included. Food is included. 
any activity you want, whether it's snowboarding, skidoos, whether it's jet skis, or whether it's just like a bed on the beach. Whatever you want is yours. I said, there's one condition. There's one catch. You get 24 hours like this, but you have to suffer for one millisecond. I'm not going to tell you why. I'm not going to even explain it, but there's going to be one terrible millisecond. And then you get the 24 hours. Hands up if you would take me up on my offer. Oh, not everyone. I definitely would. One millisecond for 24 hours of incredible beauty. This is how the Bible describes our lives. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, The momentary afflictions are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Romans 8.18, The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. You know, so often in life we're so focused on the now on the present. How do I get through this moment? And in the Bible, Paul says, lift your eyes up. Look forwards. Look to the end because God is going to make all things good. Because Jochebed gave God her child, God made it good, not for one person, but for her and another and another and another and another and another and another until an entire nation were transformed. God uses your greatest difficulties and your greatest sufferings and turns them into your greatest ministry. I want to show you how I think I see this. This rope, oh, that is heavy, represents, if you can see it, your eternity. And we focus on this little white bit at the end. These little white three inches represent your life. And there's going to be times when it's hard. And there's going to be times when you have to make decisions you don't like. There's going to be times when you have to push through. But Paul is saying, don't focus just on this, but learn to focus on all that is coming. This rope is not long enough. On all that is coming afterwards. God doesn't want to make everything good. He wants to make all things good. This has been something that we've talked about again and again this summer. How are we going to overcome the obstacles that have placed in front of us? We're a church who has this huge vision. And we believe God has got so much ahead of us. But I believe that he wants us to step forward in confidence, no matter what faces us. And so I don't know what this looks like for you today. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know if you've got giants that you're facing right now, or if this is a time when you're preparing and you're building up. I don't know what your struggles are. But I believe that the question that God is asking of us today is what... Is your most precious thing. And would you trust me with it? And for you, that could be your kids. It could be your career. It could be your calling. Maybe you've had promises that you feel God's given you 
that have never happened. It might well be your finances. It might be your money. Uh, But the question is, what does it look like for you today? When you stop, when you pause, what would God be asking you to give over to him? We're going to go into a time of worship. But I don't want us to just go in and, and forget and move on and not think about it. Because I find so often that I will be here on a Sunday morning and I'll be energized and I'll be built up. And then by the time I've got to my next Saturday, I'll be defeated and I'll be broken again. And I think the reason that happens, at least for me, is because I don't make a practical step. I don't think, what does it actually look like for me practically to put something into God's hands? I don't think, how am I applying this? Like, this is great. I love the idea that God turns everything good. But like, how does it look like for me? And I want to encourage you today to not leave this room until you've worked that out. Whether you have to do it in the worship, whether you have to stay longer, but to spend the time you need praying and saying, Lord, I don't want to be the kind of person who leaves church built up and comes back broken every single week. I think that this should be not like an up, down, like a mountain. This should be like steps. We should be going from glory to glory to glory. We should be getting stronger and stronger every single week. So what is it that you would give to God? What is it that you need to put your confidence in God and look at the bigger picture? Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.